Red Glow is an everything photography podcast covering the entire range of photography from chemical, darkroom, and alternative-based processes all the way to modern digital photography and beyond. Be sure to visit us at www.underredglow.com. And now your host, John Milliker Jr. Hello and thank you for joining us for episode 99 of the Under Red Glow podcast. My name is John Milliker. I'm a full-time photographer who practices, teaches, demonstrates nearly every photographic process in history including modern digital gear and techniques and with me in studio is my co-host and lovely wife christine she practices and demonstrates many processes as, as well and is our entry-level processing kids class instructor welcome christine good evening what's going on we've had an interesting week oh it's been crazy we did some travel and we'll talk about that yeah and had a good time we did, did that steampunk thing we did that steampunk thing and then we found a balloon festival yeah, that was pretty cool. That was fun. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. Not right now, though. But when? After a word from our sponsor. Good idea. All right, Christine. <laughs> <laughs> that was very, very. Very, very what? You're supposed to say professional. Professional? I think that was that was a, a radio. Was it Don and Mike? I think it was Don and Mike on... Um, DC 101. If I remember correctly, it might not be. If if I'm right or wrong, let me know. Let me know in the in the comments somewhere. But uh, but they would you know, they kind of kind of knuckleheads, kind of like us, and uh, they would sit there and say that was very very. And then they had a, they had a recording. They had a soundbite that said professional. But yeah, that's pretty good. I didn't listen to them, so they were they were funny. I I like the I used to like listening to uh, Howard Stern on DC 101. I think I'm pretty sure it was Don and Mike. Um, that was about it. We also had a, a Baltimore radio station called 98 Rock, and their morning show used to be okay. They just got on these tangents that were just so, just got, got to be too much. Yeah. And that's one thing I want to make sure that we don't do. I want to make sure we don't get so repetitive and, and terrible that people are like, okay, that's it. I was listening to a, a channel that I like on Sirius XM and they were interviewing a guy that I think was, he was somebody in the Dallas Cowboys organization mm-hmm. and the radio host kept saying the callous Cowboys and like kept saying it over and over and like every chance they got, oh, the callous Cowboys, the callous Cowboys, the callous Cowboys. And it's like, click. It was like, you know, it's it, okay, it was funny the first time, maybe the second, but after the third, fourth, fifth, and twenty seventh, it was it was it wasn't very funny. Yeah. Yeah, kind of a pain in the butt. I found a an article on on Petapixel, and I think it came out yesterday. Sixteen types of landscape photography. Do you really think we need sixteen types of landscape photography? Do we really need to classify landscape photography i don't think so let's take a look at some of the some of the 16 and i'll put the link in the show the show notes down down below or or something i don't know i don't know how podcasts work yet (laughs) but it's it's 16 types of landscape photography Um, let's go through the 16 and then talk about do they really need to be classified like this first one is pure landscapes 
Isn't most landscapes landscapes? Well, and that's what I thought. Pure landscape, I think, means nothing but nature. Okay. Not one thing but nature. and Would it be nature? But landscapes can have buildings in them, can't they? And I'm looking at the photo on my screen, the, the first photo. It looks like the, the horizon is off, but as I... As I drag my, my window thingy down to the bottom and, and compare it to my, my start menu bar, whatever that thing's called, it, it doesn't. It just looks it just looks off off, but it's definitely that, centered. That is a and that's okay. You know, you, you can break the compositional rules. It it's almost not perfectly centered. Maybe it is. I'm not sure. It it just it just kinda looks a little bit different. It it looks like there's rotation a, a, a correction that needs to be done. And maybe the top and the bottom is perfectly centered. And that's okay with me. I know when you talk about composition, well, you know, you don't want to put your horizon in the center or you want to put your horizon on the, the top third or the bottom third. Well, this is a this is a mirror reflection of a mountain range. You gotta remember this is a podcast. This is audio, not not pictures. People can't right. see what we're doing. But very, very nice looking photo of a of a, a landscape a mirrored image in some kind of a misty, foggy, low-lying fog lake. Uh, I'm trying to look. There's. I'm not entirely sure if the, if the mirrored reflection is photoshopped in or not. Um, hmm. I'm thinking maybe not because the mist does look a little more in the upper half, but, but here, here's I guess the that thing. can be faked if you blur it a little bit. Here's how you can sometimes sometimes tell when somebody's kind of faking it and we we had this with sorry i'm just moving stuff around my desk we had this with an airshow photographer that was in the area that was that was claiming no photoshop but you know you, you if you go in and you take a copy of the image and you you make it upside down and put it where the reflection is if it is absolutely perfect then yeah it's probably photoshopped i'm looking at the fog Look at the fog on the right. Do you see the fog on the right? Yeah. Christine, and I, I know this is unfair to the podcast listeners, I'm sorry. But do you see the, the, the little peak of the mountain sticking up above the fog? Now look at the reflection. That little tiny peak is there as well. Now here's how reflections work. And I'm not trying to be Mr. Wizard or anything. Usually you're looking at the image from your, your eye's perspective. Well, when you look at the reflection in a, a mirror or a, a body of water or a puddle, that reflection is at a lower angle to what you are looking at. Now, it's quite possible that the photographer is so close to the water here that maybe it's just, it's just nothing. But I will say that little, all these little details are perfectly mirrored and, and blurred out a little bit. Yeah, I see that. And I don't know if if the photographer and, and like I said, I'm not I'm not I'm not accusing anybody of of anything. And and here's the thing, you can go out and take a landscape image and if the water sucks and you want to you want to goose it, you want to put a little bit back in. Hey, that's fine. This person at least as far as you know, as far as I'm I'm reading is not they're not making any claims to this being authentic. So therefore, yes, you can make a copy of the of the scene, flip it, you know, give it a little bit of horizontal flippity do. And then put it back in. Give it a little bit of a Gaussian blur to look like something. But another thing is, usually a reflection of water, you're either going to see the ripples or you're going to see the image perfectly. It's quite possible 
that the photographer may have used a slow shutter speed to turn those ripply, ripply ripples in the water kind of blurry like this, and that might be what introduced the blur. But then it, it leads to question, okay, well, how come the, how come the low-lying clouds are, are perfectly in focus? Right. You know, they're not blurred out at all. So, you know what, I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there to the world. This, this, who, I don't even know who the photographer is. This is uh, an article. I'm guessing it might be the, 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 the writer of the article's photos. If you do that, it's okay. But, you know, there are some people that say, oh, it's straight out of camera. I didn't do anything. But it, it, when you, I've kind of broken our audience because now when you look at reflections, you're going to kind of, start picking up on those little things. Right. So that's what kind of picked, you know, kind of picked up on my brain at first because you have a lower you have a lower perspective from the from the water. Now now could this be real? Absolutely because the photographer could be so low to the water that those little adjustments are are not going to be noticeable. But just, you know, just a, a thing that I'm I've been cursed with forever. <laughs> kind of like you know what else uh, we've got a very good friend that 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 I've I've been enjoying talking to a, a new friend that we've made since the thing, and he's a videographer, very good videographer, and as we've been on our journey to learn videography, he's been a very big help. And you know, hey, what do you think of this? Hey, what do you think of that? Recommended that book that we reviewed and you know, a, a while ago called How to Shoot Videos That Don't Suck. Do you remember that? I do. We kind of we kind of correlated that to photography. It actually went pretty long. That went two episodes. Yeah, but. Um, he, he made a video and I called him out on something. There was a, uh, there was a, a fire scene that because he panned one way, he wanted to pan the other way to make the aesthetics of the video. Well, he reversed the footage so that the pan went the other way instead of shooting one pan, then the other. And, and we had a great conversation about it. And, and I told him, I gave him a tip, you know, usually when I do a pan, I will pan left to right and then right to left or up and down and down down up. That way I I always have that footage that I can decide to to use whichever pan that I want. But the thing is since he reversed it, I saw the fire the flames in the fireplace going down instead of going up. And it's kind of funny. We we had such a good laugh about it because not everybody sees that. Most people don't. And and you didn't for a while. For a while, we were watching videos, and then I like said, "Up, oh, did you see that? Did you see that?" And you're like, "What are you talking about?" And I'll take it back, and and like a a fountain or a waterfall is going the wrong direction or something. But uh, but it's definitely something that's it's you know it's it's not a big videography sin, but just know that terrible people like me are out here and are going to point it out. Well, you you know you're observant to those little details that a lot of other people don't catch. And it's not like I care. And no one else probably caught that in his video. Exactly. And that's what we, that's what we laughed about because he said, you know what? I, I'm the same way. And I thought about it, but he, even then he said, I didn't think anybody was going to pick up on it. Well, you haven't met terrible John yet. (laughs) All right. We have pure landscapes. I think pure landscapes is only nature. No, no people, no buildings, nothing right and and i would even go away if you want to classify let's classify let's go crazy with this i would say no human um how how do i want to say this no human intervention whatsoever so therefore if you threw a rock in the lake 
I wouldn't call that a pure landscape. That's not how you found it. You influenced the scene. Make sense? Right. It's kind of fair, right? Right. Number two is landscapes with people. Well, here's the interesting part. And are, do you have the same article up? Here's the interesting part. What would you say the subject of that second image is? It looks like it's the person that's in front of the sunlight that happens to be in a very beautiful location. Beautiful location and a nice silhouette. Um, the person is walking. He is on the, I believe it's a he. He is on the right third of the image walking towards the right. So therefore walking out of the frame. And it, you know, it, it, it kind of is going to build on what we're going to talk about here, which, you know, our, our listeners have probably already read the, 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 show, the name of the show or the name of the episode. Uh, I get a feeling of isolation, of defeat, probably just because he's walking out of the frame from the right side of the frame. Oh, I could read it totally differently. Really? How do you read it? I re- read it as peace as the sun goes down. He's barefoot walking in the water. His head is hung. His, His head is hung, kind of defeated, and he's but I'm I'm pulling that thought out of my out of my brain because he is on the right third and he's walking right towards the outside of the frame. If he was walking the other way, then then I I I I feel hope and and anticipation and uh, you know, the world isn't in front of him, but he's kind of at the end of the image walking off. And that's just kind of, and that's that's the, the, the interesting thing about different photographers is they read things differently. But this is actually kind of a sad photo for me. I think it's just someone enjoying the sunset who's looking down, watching his feet while he walks with well, his hands in his pockets. Well, let's be honest. In the grand scheme of things, this guy could be a billionaire. And, and, and there might be a, a pot of gold and in, in dressed off the right side of the frame. This this image could, in the reality of the image, could have been that everything, this guy's the happiest guy in the world. But right. that's really not it, right? As photographers, we've got to use these compositional elements to, to tell the story. And the bad thing is, is we can use these compositional elements to mistell a story, too. But also... People who look at the photograph are going to bring their own experiences and their own views of life to it. That very well might be. And so... Your view is 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 happiness. My view is almost almost a little bit... I could see this on one of those despair posters. You ever see the despair posters? Yeah. I'm not necessarily saying happy, but I'm seeing peaceful. Yeah. But that, I mean, again, it's experiences, view of yeah. life. and As we, we all- talk about these, for, for all of you listening that are not driving... And happen to happen to be able to bring this article up. What do you what do you think about our our? What, I don't think we're going to pick apart every single. Well, not pick apart. I don't think we're going to uh, to give our thoughts and internal feelings on every image. But but what do you feel? How do you feel about these images as well? So so number two, landscapes with people. Christine finds as a happy image. I find it a little bit as a sad image. The sun is setting, and, and here's the thing: the sun could be rising. But everything about this image, the despair, the walking off the right of the image, the the not much room in front of him when there's a lot of room behind him, it's a big journey and kind of coming at the end of his journey. And right away, because of that, my brain goes to, man, that's probably a sunset. So it's going to get dark. It's going to get cold. Really interesting. Interesting how we, we see things differently. Right. Now, of course, we can't have landscapes with people without landscapes with animals. <laughs> and the next image is uh, is a nice a nice image. Uh, per, who knows where? 
But uh, there are some penguins on a beach. You see a nice big rock on the bottom left, giving a nice anchor element to the image. Nice negative space of the beach. And and you've got the rocks in the, the, the background that are lit up and the peg, penguins in the foreground that are actually in shadow. So, so therefore, you know, your eyes go immediately to those lit up rocks and and come back around to the penguins. So, yeah, it's a, a landscape with animals. But aren't animals part of nature? So therefore, shouldn't they, you know? And that's a good question. Do we do we change it to animal, you know, wild animals, to domesticated animals? Aren't people animals in the grand scheme of things? You know, right. we're, we're mammals or how about landscapes with intervertebrates? Landscapes with spiders, which would be Christine's favorite thing. Send her lots of spider photos. No, thank you. Next is, oh, and there's another photo. There's a, a photo of a, uh, I'm not sure if it's a, 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 a lady or a gentleman, walking up a wooden pier. And there is a, a cute white fluffy dog running up towards the photographer. And that's this, that, uh, this is a very nicely done image. I'm trying to think of what, I'm trying to think of my feelings on this. You've got some, it, it again looks like sunset. I don't know why I feel sunset instead of feel instead of sunrise, but it's sunset. He's got what looks like he or she has got like a jacket, like a heavy jacket on. It's probably cold wherever this is. I, I like the cold in in the in the shadows. I like the, the the coolness. And then of course I like the warmth in the in the reflections on the wood, on the walkway, and also on the on the little the little hill there. Does it bother you that the sun is not part of this image, Christine? No, because I think it would detract. Exactly. I think the same. I like I like that the photographer decided to keep the sun out of that. You've got a warm spot on the right hand, kind of like when you're swimming in the pool, you might find a warm spot. And then you've got a cold spot on the left in the sky. But those storm clouds kind of kind of bug me, kind of makes me think think like there's a storm coming. I'm very neutral about the feeling of this image, but I'm I I kind of feel a little on the on the chilly side looking at it. Right, but the comment above the picture kind mm -hmm. of um, is interesting because it's saying that to purists, this photo would be disqualified just because there was people and animals in it and that it shouldn't hmm. be considered a landscape because those things are in it. That's a really good argument, and maybe we, maybe we need to talk about that more, um, where judges, um, I'm trying to write as I, as I brain, and that usually doesn't help. Judges read... Uh, themes differently I'm going to write that down because I want to come back to this and this is something for, for anybody that, that submits to a contest judges re read themes differently but we're going to come back to that Okay. Uh, urban landscapes yeah I, can, I get it and the urban landscape is a, a nice landscape photo of a, of a uh, street with a lot of different brightly colored I guess these are houses. I guess these aren't houses. These aren't, what would you call these? They yeah. aren't single family homes. It's like, it's like a block of, of, of um, brick buildings very close to a street with, with doors, with residential doors in the front. I'm not yeah. really sure what you would call that. It's not a town home. It's not a row home. It's almost row homes because they're separated by the colors, but they are built next to each other with no space between them. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I'm not that 
big of a fan of this image because of the cars and the and the, the cutoff car specifically in the in the base of the image. But okay, urban landscape. And the the article is asking if this could be considered a landscape because it is urban. Yeah, I don't like reading the articles because I like coming up to my own conclusions. I know, but it's but interesting you're right. points to discuss and talk about. Is the urban panorama below a landscape photo. And yes, it is very panoramic. The 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 lines are, are very distorted. Is the urban panorama below a landscape photo? Man, that's another one for judges read themes differently. Landscape, I would say no. Not this close. I don't think that's a landscape being this close. But if it was like outside a city and getting the Absolutely. skyline. You're getting more of the land. Right. Right. Where this is really close up, I don't know. I don't know why my brain's saying no for this, but, but if you were if you were on the outskirts of this town or city, and you were getting the the landscape of the and the the geometry of the buildings, then my brain goes, oh yeah, that's uh, okay, landscape. But the point of the article is saying because there's buildings in it, is it a landscape? Hmm, that's not my qualifying factor. My qualifying factor is buildings can be a landscape in my mind. Again. Let us know in the comments what you think, but buildings in my mind would are, are okay as long as they're not too close up. Right. I want to see the vast expanse of the land. I mean, even even a landscape photo of a rock that's close up, I wouldn't consider it a landscape because I, I I feel that landscapes need to be wide. They need to show a lot of a lot of space in one single image. It's telling the story of that area. It and is, it's hard it, to do that whenever you're, I mean. Why can't this be an urban photo? Just an urban photo, photograph or a lifestyle photography. Right. I'm not really sure I can get on board with this being a landscape photo. Next is seascapes. Well, wait a minute. Didn't we just see, you know, we just had a couple. We we had in the pure landscapes, the, the reflection of the lake, which I'm guessing is a lake. Well, how come that's not a lakescape? And the next one, it's some guy, uh, you know, walking on the beach with the sea behind him. How come that's not a seascape? A seascape with people, right? Right. I, I guess. I look. I get it. I get that you want to call a, a a seascape a seascape, but that's a landscape to me. If you if you said landscape and I looked at this image, great. What a great image. The water's a part of the land, and therefore it's still a landscape. But yeah. yes, I understand that some people like to differentiate that. There's a lot more water in it than... Yeah, what do we use uh, for our for our camera club? I think we had landscapes two or three years ago, but it was landscapes, landscapes sea, uh, seascapes, and cityscapes. Right. And and I guess the cityscape would be what I was talking about earlier, seeing the seeing the city in the background. So maybe, maybe I would be on board with that. A landscape should really show minimal human intervention or minimal human construction. Right, but it is still a scape of sorts. So I can understand why people would want to yeah. have cityscapes be landscapes, which now in my mind's eye they're very similar. Now we're getting a little crazy. Mountainscapes <laughs> aren't those just landscapes? Dunescapes aren't those just landscapes with sand? Yeah. Sunscapes. Okay, well the sun is reflecting down on the land. Does does the fact that the sun is giving those what do they call them God fingers? Does the, does the fact that this image here under sunscapes have god fingers and and the the light is is doing something very unique on a rather 
it's not a boring landscape, but it's a rather mediocre landscape. Does that make it? Should we call that a, a sunscape because the sun is really, you know, goosing is really goosing that landscape to make it something worthwhile of photographing? I'm not sure I like this, the the sunscape photo, but um, it's not one that I would ever want to hang up or anywhere or even keep. Well, but. Uh, we're, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about how the quality of the image. And, and maybe if there was an image that Christine and I found more uh, – more exciting maybe we can better better talk about that but it's a nice photo but i i agree i think the sky is there's too much bland color in the sky and it looks like those clouds are are are, are very very blurry there's and a long exposure the darkness in the front is a little too dark and then the light is like blocking out the land in the middle i like that i kind of like the dark in the foreground it there gives is. you your layers. It gives you a nice anchor point. I like it. Again, I you know, like Christine said, I don't think I'd hang it on my wall, but that's a nice image. And isn't this a little bit like a mountainscape, like it was saying earlier, because well, that's you what see I was the layers saying. of the mountains. Is this a sunscape because the sun is is really making this image? Right. Hmm. Interesting. Next is a forest scape. And this to you know, me is not a landscape because it's too trees. close. You're seeing trees. It's too close. You're not looking wide. You're not like even seeing the full tree. It's like cut off trees. Yeah, I see a lot of ferns. Yeah, maybe ferns we can have another. Maybe the next the next one is fernscapes. <laughs> Snowscapes. Why do we have to differentiate a landscape because, because of, the of the season? Hmm. Very nice. This is a very this snowscape image is very nice. There's a a it's a very snowy scene. There's a big huge rock in the background that's actually kind of very low contrast, but you've got this fencing that comes from the bottom left and it just leads your eye to that big mountainous thing in the background. And it wraps around. This is kind of this is nicely done. It's very but nice. I it's still landscape. Very nicely seen. But yes, it's a landscape. Stormscape should should we classify a landscape as a stormscape if there's a storm in the in the photo? Well, but this also has a human building. It has a lighthouse in it. So does that make it an urbanscape because there's something human in it? Yeah. At what point do we go from landscape to cityscape or urbanscape or whatever we want to call it? I like that. This is this is a very nicely done image. It's very close to the middle. This is one of those ones that that I would like to see it more on a third. Yeah. Maybe maybe lower it a little bit. I want to see more of that sky. The photographer figured out, hey, well, there's so much reflection in the sky in that water, but you got to pick one. Yeah. Not like, always, I, but sometimes you just have to sit there and say, man, I got to pick whether I like this or not. Like and I, I, I do think that this one has rotation problems. Yeah, this one's not straight, but I like the clouds and I like the water. So I understand why they might have cropped it the way they did. But yeah, a little more of both might have been nice. Or... Photographers have a lot of hard work to do. They got to push that button. But before they push that button, they've got to frame their image. And, and this is one of the ones where I would take a photo of it mirrored. I would take a photo with the horizon on the, the top and the horizon on the bottom third, especially if you're a digital photographer. And then... And then when you bring them into your your editing program, your post-processing, then you can kind of pick. Let's keep going. Starscapes. Should a landscape be different because you you're, you know, you're making you're doing astrophotography. Well, and this also has again a man-made 
satellite dish in it, which completely adds to the image. It's it a it's a radio telescope that is lit by a you know a very low sun, likely a sunset, and the 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 Milky Way galaxy. And this this image is probably so darn wide you can actually see the Milky Way bend like a rainbow over this radio telescope. That's very nicely done. It is. It's a very nice photograph. But is it any? I mean, this is. I, I'm not sure. I would call it a landscape because it's not land. But I do really enjoy it because you know how much I love astrophotography. Yeah, it's okay. To Starscape. Me, it's astrophotography. Aerial landscape. Okay, well that's just a landscape that you took higher than ground level so if you take it from a drone it makes it or an airplane or a helicopter what about the top of a ladder what about the top of a building this to me is a cityscape because it's of a city right me too intimate landscapes that's not a landscape that's a reflection it is a nice reflection shot though it's uh what we're looking at is a is a mud puddle well it's a it's a muddy piece of ground with a puddle in the middle and then a nice reflection of a tree in front of the blue, in front of a cloudy sky. Very nice. But to me, it's not a landscape. That's not a landscape to me. That's a, a very nice image, but not a landscape to me. Abstract landscapes. Um, hmm. Again, it's it's not showing the width of of a big mass of of land. I like it. This is what we're looking at is. I guess these are flower fields, and they're in perfect lines. And there's flowers on the left, bushes on the left that are purple, and bushes on the right that are green. And they've got a tan, like a tan dirt or sand between them. And they're making these nice lines that are coming down and kind of swooping. They're you know definitely a very wide-angle lens. But I'm not seeing any sky. Does a landscape need to have sky in it? That's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure, but to me, this isn't a landscape. This is yeah. an abstract. Altered landscapes. Uh, there's a photo of a landscape. There's a photo of a lady sitting on the end of the pier, and the photographer goosed the HDR on the, the background, it looks like, and imported the, the lady. Uh, this is definitely a composite, but no matter how you do it, can't this be a landscape with people? Why do we need to classify that you photoshopped a person in there? Why do you have to make sure people know that it's a composite? And that's very good because that kind of kind of talks about our our topic. And this and was nicely the done. They actually did well with the lighting in this. Oh yeah, absolutely. Make her look like she was actually a part of that the, landscape. The color correction, the the um, the reflection, not the reflection, but the the shadows on her. Very nicely done. Her her left shoulder is a little bit brighter than her right, and the sun seems to be on the right hand side. But that's my that's my nitpicky brain. Uh, nobody's gonna see that. Nobody's gonna notice it. Nobody's gonna care. But it's very nicely done. The, knowing that it's Photoshop, it was or whatever photo editor you use, it's a very good work doing that. But I didn't need to know that. If you do a if you do a good composite, just don't. Just don't try to make it, you know, don't try to say, hey, this is this was a real thing. This is a photograph. This is not a composite. Just don't do that. But there's nothing wrong with this. This is good. Very nicely done. It is. We are already halfway through, so I'm gonna we're gonna I'm gonna kind of blank this uh, other this other news article out because I want to talk really quick about judges read themes differently. Okay. And we can either talk about it now or after after our, our main thing. I say we talk about it now. 
you have 16 types of photography. You can't assume that a judge is going to feel the same way about you, uh, about a, a theme that you do. And I'll give you a prime example. In our local camera club, we had a street photography competition. We all know what street photography is. Well, the judge came in and said anything without a street in the photo is not street photography. I'm not going to I'm not going to rip on any judges. I think that's silly, but it it really begs a question judges read or the, the the statement judges read themes differently. And everybody just like we were looking at these images and bringing our own personal experiences and biases and likes and dislikes, judges do the same thing. And I know a couple camera clubs that just give the theme landscape. And I know a couple a couple clubs that give a, a description. They will say uh, a landscape, and they will give a, a technical description of what it is. Now, do judges always look at that and say, "Oh, well, I'm going to judge via that"? No, they're, sometimes they they still do their own they still do their own thing. But there's definitely uh, something to be said for if you if you submit an image into a, a contest that you think fits the theme, you could be wrong. The judge can be wrong. Both of you could be wrong. But the fact of the matter is, judges are not infallible. But, like, for our contests, we have a definition and we give it to the judges. I mean, Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's not the end-all, be-all. Right. It's not the end-all, be-all. But if what you're thinking is the definition goes against what that definition is and the definition is what the people who made the photographs were going by. I agree. I mean, to that me, should that, not be the right. way, but the problem is it sometimes it is. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that's right. I'm just trying to make sure anybody that may be submitting images to a contest that happens. Unfortunately, that definitely happens. Right. Even if you give a judge a, a, a rock solid definition and, and the photographers are shooting on that definition they're editing on that definition and they're submitting for a judge to to critique them using that definition. It doesn't always happen. So just just be aware of that. Right. We had a uh, we had a really good time at at the the, the freaky mutant weirdo thing. Uh, I think we need to put that at the end of the at the end of the episode just in case we run out of time. Okay. But as uh, thirty four minutes in now, my question is. And and this I can't remember where this came up from. I think somebody we we were with somebody. And they had a conversation, and the and the question was, should you name your photos? I think I read something on Facebook and asked you about it. Was it on Facebook? Yes. Either way, it doesn't matter. But the topic is, should you name your photos? What's your answer, Christine? And, yes. And back it up. Why? I think you should name your photographs because it helps people see what you're seeing when you look at that picture. Sometimes it's just something easy or not that, you know, it's, it's the place where it was taken or whatnot. But sometimes a name can help you people see what you're seeing when you look at that photograph. Okay. I border on no. I border on you shouldn't name your photos. But of course, that depends on where you're submitting your photos and where you're displaying your photos. Because here's my question. Is naming your photos a crutch for mediocre photographs? And when I say mediocre, let me let me clarify myself. When I say mediocre, 
the photographer either didn't or 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 didn't have the ability or didn't have the the good luck to basically give you what they were going for with the image. Let's go back to this this landscape with photo image on Petapixel with with the guy walking out out of the frame in the in the in the silhouetted by the sun. If this was titled despair, spot on. If this was titled walking to claim my million dollar yacht. You know, you know what I'm saying? There there's a problem with the fact that and and as much as I thought this photo nailed despair, sadness, whatever, you thought of it as a different thing. So yeah. so that's my question is is naming your photograph a crutch? Are there images out there that I definitely feel for the subject. I feel for the photographer. I feel for the location. I feel for this. I feel for that. I feel happy. I feel sad. Absolutely. And are you going to make those images 100% of the time? Absolutely not. But that's why I said I border I border on no. If you're doing your job and you're making an amazing image and you can really use the subject, the lighting, the composition, the the cropping, everything you use everything in your bag of tricks to to give a to give a story to your viewer. You don't need a you don't need a name, right? Whenever I brought this up to you, the point that was being made by the person was that naming a photograph can take people out of the photograph. It can. If this photograph was named Happy, it would have kind of it would have been kind of weird. Like, like chocolate syrup on spaghetti. <laughs> I already like the spaghetti, but then you threw chocolate syrup on it. Hey, probably don't knock it till you try it, but I, I'm not going to try it. So maybe, and, and that's very good. Are there times when your image is, is solid enough that no one is going to misrepresent the, the feeling and the mood? Yeah. But here's an interesting aspect. Are there going to be times where your image is going to tell a story and it's going to convey a mood, but differently to different people. Always. Is that a bad thing? No. Exactly. That's why I'm bordering on no for naming your photographs. This photographer may have thought one way, but how cool is that, that you're giving, you're putting an image up that has so much feeling in it that, pe- that, that people that want to think it is happy, think it is happy. People that want to think of it as sad, think of it as sad. And there's no end-all, be-all to critiquing images and judging images. But is that better than, than you know, it, what, it, where is the hierarchy? Is, is it better to have an image that perfectly conveys your feeling and your message and exactly what you wanted the viewer to feel? Or is it better to have an image that can kind of go either way? I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm just hypothetically asking. I do not know. But there is definitely a very... Uh, satisfying feeling that that this image ev- evoked different emotions from each of us. That's really cool. And our experiences and our life views and what we're going through even at that moment tell different stories. So looking at this photograph now versus 10 years from now might give us different feelings and moods and Absolutely. A name could detract from that, which I can see that point of view. A life exp- our own life experiences could could do that. 
I could be in a happy place where nothing gets me down. I'm thinking happy. I could be in a sad place where everything gets me down, and a and a photo of a puppy can sit there and 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 send me into a spiraling depression. Absolutely. So that's really interesting. Really, really interesting. Yeah. How about for different venues? Should you should you name your photos for? Let's say you're you're posting photos on on Facebook. Should you name them? It's hard to name them on Facebook because it's, it's not. You can you can bulk up- upload them, and when you bulk upload them, it gives you a place to put description in every single photo. It just is tedious and takes a long time. But is yes. your art worth the tedium and and the time? Yeah. But uh, but I agree with you. You know, if if you're putting out a gallery of images, this is my portfolio of my best images. For social media, when you have people looking at it that, that might not have the vocabulary and might not have the, the life experiences to really pull something out of it, and, and you're going to know. You're going to know if an image doesn't have enough of a story to either say what you want it to say or say what your viewer wants it to say. So, so that's a maybe to me. Right. For galleries, I think galleries you need to have an image. Uh, an image name but if you're hanging a, an image in a gallery it's got it's got merit on its own let that what do they say a, a, a photo is worth a thousand words don't give me a word and and ruin the thousand words that i was already thinking of in my head right but galleries you've got to and and we've been to gallery shows where the image is untitled untitled number four untitled number seven if you have an image that's strong enough, and, and maybe shop this in, in front of a couple different friends and family or strangers or, or camera club members, hey, what, do you, what, do you, what kind of emotion do you get when you look at this image? And that's going to go over many people's heads. That's going to make people, make brains explode <laughs> like that, like scanners. But the few people, you know, just have people look at that. And you're only going to help other people out. Like, like what does this photo make you feel? Oh, it's a really great photo. Okay, well, I appreciate that, but how do you feel looking at that? What do you think is going on in this scene? Does it make you happy? Does it make you sad? Does it make you sad for this guy walking on the beach? It does for me. He looks defeated and downtrodden. He's all, you know, he's got his head down. He's almost dragging his foot. He's almost, and he's in the in the the, the silhouette of the sunset. How about for contests? Most contests make you name it, and they need a way to. There are several it. times. There are several times that "untitled" has been used. I've used "untitled" dozens of times. If an image is strong enough, do you need to title it? No, but for a contest, first when you put your image in front of somebody that's actually critiquing your work or judging your work, and maybe it doesn't stand enough on its own that that the that the the judge can't put together the thousand words you want them to put together can injecting and can injecting something into their into their mindset help you yeah absolutely absolutely sometimes with experimental photos that i submit to to our own contest which always get thrown out because oh it's it's a pinhole it's soft or it's a or that's a good tin type filter well it wasn't a tin type filter but whatever but sometimes I, 
when I when I used those experimental f- photos, like the out of focus tintype, it was all about geometry and color. And I think I I think I I think I named it like lines and colors or something. And it still got thrown out because it was out of focus. Because you know every photo has got to be tack sharp focus from front to back. Does not, by the way. But but yeah, for contests you can kind of not saying cheat, but you're you're letting a judge look at an image. And, and when the, the image is, is presented, it is usually, the name is usually red in, in certain contests, in certain clubs. And this guy here, I can inject and overwrite what the judge thinks about that image. You, you kind of give that judge or your viewer or your critiquer, you're giving them, you're, you're planting that seed in their brain of, of what they should be thinking. Now, a good judge or a good critiquer is going to sit there and say, man, this this photo is called happy, but I kind of feel despair looking at it. But some judges, and uh, and sadly a majority of judges, they will take that hook, line, and sinker. Uh, they will they will take that happy. It's like, oh, okay, well, you you, you planted that, that seed in their brain that this is a happy image. So now they're going to sit there and say, oh, it's happy. Man, he's really happy. He's... He's, uh, you know, he's in the, the sunset, his day's just starting, he's walking down to the water's edge, he's going to find a gold bar, you know, you can, you can definitely kind of, and I'm, and I'm using air quotes here, you can definitely kind of cheat a, a contest or a critique session, for sure. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Definitely kind of weird. Sometimes people don't know what they're looking at and a title can like make it so that they actually look at it closer and go, "Oh yeah, that's what that is." And and that might be a good thing. Maybe you know, maybe you know, you got to you got to think about your audience. Social media, I was still kind of like, "Yeah, maybe." But here you got to think of something else. If the image is not strong enough already, to invoke something in your brain or your viewer's brain to, to sit there and look at it, what are they going to do on Facebook? Next, 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 next. They're not really going to look at your image. Is a title really going to help that? If they're not looking at the image anywhere, are they really reading a title? Probably not. Consider your audience. Right. And I don't know the answer to this. It's just a, this is a conversation. This is just a discussion. I don't know the answer to it. But... Your image should be powerful enough as it is. Are all your images going to be like that? No, of course not. But that helps us become better photographers. You're out there photographing. Yeah, you know, you know how to expose this correctly. You know how to use the rule of thirds. You, you know, uh, 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 conjoining lines, framing elements, uh, Fibonacci sequence. You can use all these things. You could be an amazing photographer. And you know all this. You know the techno aspects. You know the compositional aspects. Well, then now you take it to the next level, which is what is the mood? What is the subject? What is the story going on? This photo should tell a story. And not all photos should tell a story. But your better photos are going to tell a story. going to make me feel something. Yeah, nice photo. I'll hang that on my wall. How many times have you heard that from a judge? Oh, man, I'd really love to have a photo of this hanging on my wall. Out. Why, why is that? Because it made them feel nothing. Do you want photos on your wall that make you feel sad? 
make you feel happy? Happy I can understand. But usually wall hangings and postcards are, are eye candy. And that's why I think a lot of judges, and, and I'm, I'm guilty, I've, I've done this too. It's like, man, this is a really nice image, a hanging on the wall image. But it's not, it's not telling me a story. What is my subject? What is my subject doing? What is my subject thinking? That to me is a good image. So there's a difference between, man, I'd buy that and hang it on my wall to that is a really good image. And I think a good image is something that not only is technically perfect, compositionally perfect, but makes me feel, it, it tells me a story. It makes you feel something. It, it, it touches you somehow. Right. And I mean, usually you got to go to a theater to watch a, to watch a movie or watch it on TV or whatever. But if your image can really put together a, a timeline of, of the events, you know, this guy could have had a bad day at work. You know, his, his horse could have just died. His pickup truck could have just broken down. That's, that's usually all the, all the, the, the story to uh, all country music. But all kinds of stuff could have happened to this guy. He could be at the end of his rope. He could be contemplating suicide. I mean, there's so many different things that, that, that this guy could be going through in my mind when I look at this image. Yeah. So it is what it is. It is. And, and hopefully, you know, hopefully he's not. Hopefully just, it's just some guy. It's some guy walking. A photographer was sitting there. It's some guy walking. He just happened to, he's walking towards, it's probably a sunset. He looked down because he saw a shiny pebble and boom, there's your capture. And it could have meant, meant nothing to the guy. It could have meant nothing to the guy could have been in any, a, a million different moods. And the way the photographer decided, the decisive moment to capture that, man, this, like I said, it, it makes me feel sad. Got anything else, Christine? Not on this, I don't think. Well, good. I'm glad we, I'm glad we, we, we talked about that, but uh, we have a little bit of time to talk about the steampunk festival we did. Yeah. And, uh, and that was, that was a lot of fun. We went to the Hackettstown steampunk festival. It's a, I still don't know what this group does. It's called freaky mutant weirdo. And their logo is a, is a, like a Zeppelin made out of a pickle. <laughs> okay. And this was the freaky mutant weirdo steampunk variant. Now, usually variants are, maybe they do other things. Maybe they do like a game gaming festival or maybe like a, uh, an anim, anime, fest, anime festival, but this is their steampunk version. I got to tell you, these I think this was the first year, and they did a really good job. There, there's a problem with steampunk where people, people are into steampunk and they think they can put a festival on, and I've seen more festivals fail than than succeed. And and two festivals we've been around since day one, where it was Key City which started in Frederick, Maryland, but has since relocated to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Key City, you know, started off small, started off, you know, with a hope and a dream and, and has just really, you know, the, the organizers have done such a great job to to make it bigger and bigger and bigger every year. And that's that's our favorite festival of the year. Well, I got to tell you, I mean, this 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 freaky mutant weirdo steampunk festival is not going to, to dethrone 
key city in any in any way, shape, or form, but it's not a key city. It's an outdoor one day event. Yeah. And it was such an it was such a great event. Great people. I think the charge to get in was a little bit steep. It was twenty five dollars for a ticket to get in. But I mean you got pretty much all day worth of music. You know, there were oh what is uh what is it called? There was one called a a halo named Dave and then um Frenchie and the Punk. If you're into steampunk, you know these guys, but there were like four three or four other bands. And you know, we were sitting there making tin types. I've got a video coming out um very soon. I'm gonna go to, to Patreon and, and subscription supporters first, then a week after that I'll I'll publish it. But it was such a great time. If I was really into that music, would I have paid twenty five dollars a person? Absolutely. But I hope they get bigger and bigger every year. This is a this was a great time. It was a nice venue. It was beautiful. Perfect. Perfect weather. There yeah, the weather very much was on our side. It was a a Scandinavian club. That's as far as I understood. It was a Scandinavian club called the Vasa Club, V A S A. And they had this nice grove with trees, you know, nice medium-sized trees and 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 lines. And that's where all the vendors were. We had great shade all day. The tin types were, you know, tooting my own horn. The tin types all came out amazing. And uh, just, wow, what a good time. We had such a great time. And the people were very nice and friendly. And even it, it was very nice to have a vendor coordinator who checked on us several times throughout the day. Key City does the same thing. They I'm not, do. you know, I'm, I'm, well, I want to I want to point out that that all this stuff was great, but that's what makes Key City great too. The vendor coordinator stopped by several times that day. Hey, you doing okay? You need anything? Do you need something to drink? Do you need a break? Do you need someone to watch your booth while you go and and uh and and go take a whiz. And thankfully with Christine and I, we you know, we we didn't need that, but but having that there was amazing. And again, I can't tell you how many times we go to any event, not just steampunk, but any event where, okay, uh, where's your money? Okay, you're set up over there. Bye. And then you got to, you know, you, you, we, we want to say thank you to people when we leave. You, know, you can't find them at the end of the day. They, they never check up on you. Don't even ask how you did. But uh, but but this this event, how did you do? You know, uh, where was it? Was it worthwhile? Honestly, it 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 basically covered our, our our travel. We didn't really make much from it because it's the first year steampunk. We made a lot more plates than I thought we would would. But it was, and and I was very happy about that. I always give a steampunk festival or, or any festival really two ch- two chances. And being the first year and being as as good as it was i'm happy to I'm, I'm happy that that i would give them a second chance for sure uh, if they have it again and i hope they do i really hope they do if they do uh we will we will definitely be there if uh, if the the calendar allows and we will of course always share it with everybody as well that was good it was good seeing some we saw a couple old friends we made a lot of new friends and uh, made a lot of a lot of friends uh, of the steampunk people. There were there were bands playing in the pavilion that was fifty feet away, and we had a couple people that just hung out with us all day. Yeah, and that was cool. People that were really into photography. They you know the the one gentleman I think his name was Ryan. Ryan comes by, talks about it, gets a plate, and 
and like his plate was still in the water and then it was drying and then it, it wasn't really dry weather. It was, it was kind of humid weather. So the plate was taking a long time to dry and he's hanging out. And, I'm, and I, I, I had to say something. I said, Hey Ryan, you know, it's, why don't you go enjoy because your plate's not going to be done for maybe another 60 minutes. And, and usually what we've been doing lately is especially festivals for now, I'll sit there and say, Hey, are you here all day? Oh, you are. Okay. Well, the vendors close down at five. Come by and pick up your plate at five. And I told him that. And then I, I, I with them hanging around. I thought maybe he was leaving early. I says, are you, are you leaving early? He says, no, no, I just really love this. I really love seeing the camera, seeing people get plates made. And uh, so we have our own groupies now. <laughs> <laughs> we always end up with a couple people who like to hang out and watch. And we do. It's, it's so much fun to share this process with people and yeah. i think that's one reason so many people love to watch us and we've told people okay well hey that's that's completely cool welcome if you got a chair somewhere pull up a chair hang out with us we we love we love talking with people especially events at events like this yeah um there was a a lady that told us about a um, a photography estate sale which was which was super bust and then and then we found this balloon festival in Warren County at Warren County Community College. I think Christine found it. It was Washington, New Jersey. They have an event there twice a year. It was three times. No, they have an event there oh, twice that's... a year, in I think the first weekend in June and sometime in September. And then there's a Warren County Fairgrounds where they have the balloon thing as well. And I got to tell you, this event was well done, except for the fact that we got there around noon. And nobody was there. It was noon on Sunday. Not a soul was there. <clears throat> and no signs whatsoever. Just signs, oh, balloon festival this weekend. And we couldn't find anybody. Nobody was there. And and people rode up when we were there trying to figure out what was going on and said, is it over already? And I said, I don't think it's over because the tents are still here. I would think that if they canceled or if it was done already, they'd be breaking down. Well, what happened was it didn't start until... We never got an official word, either two or three o'clock. But we, we, you know, as soon as we started seeing, we we went to another event, which was a farm family day thing. It was, I think it was fourteen, fifteen dollars to get in. We were like, yeah, no, because it was all vendors and kids stuff. We, you know, we we kind of passed that. We went back to the 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 Warren Community College, and we we always take our chairs with us. We popped our chairs in the back. We found a nice shade tree. Sat there and we, Christine and I both had books we were reading. And when, when the vendors started coming in and, and walking towards that area, uh, we said, okay, well, let's, let's lock everything up. Let's take our chairs out there and see what we can get into. And we found a nice place right on the balloon line. And we didn't think the balloons were going to take off. There are a lot of festivals around here and uh, around here that they just blow up the balloon and then they, they tear the balloon down. No, these balloons launched. And at exactly 6 o'clock, they launched. Great food vendors. Great vendor vendors. It was it was a really good event. I can't recommend. Now, maybe we had a great time at, a, at an event that just happened to have a great event. But this event, these event people really knew. I think they really knew what they were doing. And I would highly recommend this balloon festival in, in Warren County, either at the fairgrounds or at the Warren County Community College. What a good time. It was it was a lot of fun. And then we hung out um, 
we hung out in the area and came back home, had a dead battery. Jack Jackery did a good job charging that battery up. Jackery is not like a jump starter. Jackery is a hey, put the you know, put the clamps on the battery. You have to buy the you have to buy this separately. And Jackery doesn't really promote this thing. They really need to. If you have a Jackery, or let's be honest, any solar generator, using air quotes again, solar generator battery, get yourself either the Jackery or another brand. The Jackery brand is very well done. It's It plugs into the cigarette lighter of your solar battery, and it's got a positive lead and a negative lead. You put that on there. We sat there for 25 minutes, and the Honda Pilot, which is which is kind of a beast. Uh, it, I think it, I think it turned over maybe twice and then fired right up. Yeah. Perfect. 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 Thank you, Jackery for, for, for having that, that, that device for having those little, little clamps. And then we hung out for a little bit and we came home through Shemokin dam. Of course we stopped by the Catawissa brewing company, which uh, happens to bottle Moxie which is the best soft drink on earth. And I'm going to hear, I'm going to hear about that. Moxie's interesting because you either love it or you hate it. It's kind of tastes like a cross between a, a cola and a root beer. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Apparently it's, it's big up in new England in Maine. We have a friend that told us there's a Moxie festival and she wants us to come up one of these years and stay with her and just go to the Moxie festival the whole weekend. And we'd enjoy that. And we'd enjoy that. I hope they make a like a moxie ice cream float. (laughs) (laughs) And then we came back through, and uh, but we came back through near Shamokin Dam, Pennsylvania. It's actually spelled that way: S C H M O K I N. Kind of reminds me of Jim. uh, Was it Jim Carrey in The Mask? He's like Shamokin. Anyway, Shamokin Dam, and we went to a theme park called Knobles. I said nobles, but somebody corrected me. Says you have to you have to do the K. So it's Knobles, and it is a f- totally free theme park to get in, and you just pay per ride. It's such a cool thing. It reminds me of, and I we talked about this in the video. It reminds me of Roller Coaster Tycoon, the game that you know, used to be used to be on computers. And if and if you're thinking to yourself, oh man, I remember Roller Coaster Tycoon. There is a open source version. I think it's called Open RCT. So if anybody has like new computers and you want to re- you want to run Roller coaster tycoon, you're welcome. But we rode, we rode every roller coaster we could. I think the roller coaster were four dollars a person. We spent twenty four dollars in ride tickets alone, and we rode for, we rode several things. The, the three of the three of the roller coasters, or was it four? Three. Three roller coasters: the merry-go-round, the little train, trainy do, and the the. Uh, what else did we ride? I think that's what we rode, and then it started to rain, so we had to get out of there. Yeah, we 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 wanted to. We could have we could have ridden other. They weren't they weren't shutting rides down. It wasn't raining that bad, but a big storm was on the way, and it was going to p- cross our path and heading home. So we we had a three hour drive home, and we head home from that. But that was such a nice thing. Uh, I had my GoPro strapped to my wrist, and one of the guys very nicely said, "You know, you can't have it like that." Uh, or no, he asked if I had a pass because, uh, you know, you have to go to guest services. They have to check out to make sure you're not wearing something that's going to fall off. 
and then you get a pass and you can you can have those cameras on on your ride. So we went to guest services right after and they said, "Yes, you just need a chest harness." And of course, I took the chest harness out of the bag before we left because I thought to myself, "I'm not doing anything crazy that I need a chest harness for." But next time, we got some video walking around. Next time we'll have the chest harness and they were very nice. Very nice. And I didn't feel like putting the I didn't feel like putting the GoPro back in the car. We went to, what was it, the the Twister. Mm-hmm. We went to the wooden roller coaster Twister. Gentle, you know, the people that take the tickets, uh, it was a deaf gentleman, very nice. He was funny, and he was writing down, and, and I was making sure, like, he could read lips, so I was kind of explaining, saying, uh, he said, you know, he, he wrote down guest services, and I said, it's okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in my pocket and and he kind of he kind of did this thing like riding a roller coaster and it's falling out of your pocket. And he didn't want that. And he 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 watched my GoPro for me while he didn't need to do that. Everybody was super friendly. Yeah. There. They were so nice, mm. and it was it was a lot of fun. And we did the there's a there's a ride there called the Impulse. Mm-hmm. And it goes straight up. And then it goes over and it goes straight down. I mean, it it actually got me because I've never been on a roller coaster that goes straight down. And uh, and there's I saw the camera. And I'm like, well, there's a camera there. I got to put my arms up. So I put my arms up. You know, uh, my brain was telling me I shouldn't, but I put my arms up anyway. And then we get out and it's one of the photos I would have bought. And then the photo thing was closed. It's like, oh darn it. Yeah, it, but was, it was a good time. The food was, was good there. We have a we have a friend. <clears throat> we have a friend that apparently there's a ranking for roller coaster enthusiasts and he's ranked by how many roller coasters he's been on in different parks and blah, blah, blah. I don't know how that works. I'm about to ask him one day. And he said, we really missed out on the best food in the park. We went to the first place. We got, we got chili dogs and he was telling us about this, this ice cream stand where, they take one of those bars of Neapolitan ice cream, which has got the chocolate, vanilla, strawberry. They make you a, they press you a fresh, warm waffle cone, and they put that down in there, and it melts, and it's good. Oh, we missed it, but we're we're going back because we we bought a fifty dollar ticket pack thing, and we have twenty six dollars left. I can't wait to go back. But we knew we'd be back. We knew we'd be back. Or I would have gotten the cheaper packs, which yeah. there was a $20 pack. And- Just walking in the park, it was clean. It was a little bit, <clears throat> it was a little bit dated. I mean, there were fence posts that could have been repainted in the off season. And there were things that could have been scrubbed and, and cleaned and redone. But, you know, we're coming out of the thing. It can't, it, it, it had to have been hard for them. But yeah. it was, it was not dirty. It was not run-down feeling, but it could have used a little freshening up. And everyone was so friendly, and it was, I mean, we really enjoyed ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. If it if it wasn't a three-hour drive away, we could see ourselves going there several times a year. If it was closer, we would, we would live there. That's how nice of a park that is. So good job. Good job, Nobles, and good job to all the Nobles staff that— Knobles. Knobles staff. Thank you, Christine. That, that really made our— uh, it really made our trip, and uh, and you know what? That actually reminds me. I I've been I, I thought I thought when we left, and I forgot about it, but I'm a, I'm a big fan of of you know kind of giving credit where credit's due, and I wanna I wanna either message them on Facebook or I wanna send them an email and tell them how great their people were, 
because usually people are really quick to uh, to complain that not many people take the time to to commend and I really want to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, Christine, I think that's it. Yeah, that's all I have for this week. That's all I have for this week. I need to sit up in my chair. I have, I have to start thinking about like, okay, we're almost done. Let me sit up in my chair now. But uh, yeah, it doesn't always happen that way. What do you say we end it? Let's end it. We're going to end it. Episode 99 is in the books. We are so close to episode 100. I got to tell you, I didn't think this is going to get this far. 100 episodes we've been talking into microphones. I hope you guys really enjoy this. Uh, we thank you for sharing and liking and all the, the listens and the views that we get. Uh, I, I'm i just beside myself. I'm just beside myself that a photography podcast has done has done um, better than my expectations. I, I, I don't really follow other podcasts. I'm not a podcast guy. So I really don't know what the what what are good numbers and what are bad numbers. We may have bad numbers. I don't know, but you know what? We have a we have quite a few listeners that that we that we love. We love seeing the numbers there, and we love seeing that uh, that you guys keep coming back and and listening and listening and listening, and that means so much to us. But uh, yeah, hundred episodes next, next week. week. As always, you can connect with us on our Facebook group or through email at podcast at underredglow.com. Let us know what you think about the. Uh, let us know what you think about the landscape stuff. Also, let us know what you think about should you name your photos and and are, are there are there times when you should and shouldn't name your photos because, like I said, it's a conversation. I really I really have no hard and fast laws on on what I do, but uh, you know maybe you can y'all can sway sway our minds and uh, let us know what you think and we'll talk about that in a future episode. As always, a big thank you to everyone for continuing to join us. All the love and support we've received from people liking us on Facebook, subscribing and rating us on your podcast platform of choice. And also a big thank you to our Patreon and subscription supporters. We're starting at just a buck. You can get our shows early with our supporters only after show. All without ads. That includes our YouTube videos, which are ramping up a little bit more. I don't want to say that too loudly. Knock on wood, pinch of salt, whatever. And... Our, our supporters get that early be sure to check out our other supporter tiers as well which are geared towards bringing you along on our darkroom projects with great rewards we need to change that to photography projects with great rewards mm-hmm. all of our links can be found in our show notes and also on www.underredglow.com and now with episode 99 down it's been our absolute pleasure spending this time with you please be sure to subscribe to Under Red Glow and if we've earned your recommendation to other photographers of any skill level or process we would certainly appreciate you sharing us with them a big thank you to my co-host, Christine Milliker, and of course, everyone for listening. If you're listening to us on Patreon or our supporter page, stay tuned for the after show. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to visiting with you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.